Welcome to Find Laws, Don't Judge Me, the show about the law in real life. I'm Laura Temme, and I'm joined by Joe Fawbush. Hey, everybody. Hi, Joe. And Andy Leonetti. <laughs> How's it going, guys? It's going great. I am fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> Showing our ded- the dedication to our audience, the recently vaccinated Joe yeah. Fawbush is <laughs> sucking it up in the... In the face of an onslaught of post-vaccination <laughs> symptoms, he is, he's... I am toughing it out, yep. Yep. Yeah. As always, Joe, what, you're a greater man than I. <laughs> I am I, such a wimp about it. I am happy to be uh, vaccinated, so that'll carry me through. What's everybody going to do? What's everyone's first? Oh, boy. I am going to go to the gym for the first Ooh, time. That's a good in, one. Oh, well, you're a better man for the first time ever. No, for the first time in a year. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> Although, yeah, I mean, no, I'm. Ta- I'm. Ne- hey, I've never been. I've never <laughs> paid for a gym. And my first thing that I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go to a barcade. So you're oh, a better. Yeah. So you're a much better man than I am. Yeah, I think I think a brewery is the first spot for me. Nice. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So what are we talking about today? We are talking about voting because. <laughs> As Andy mentioned in our last episode, we just we can't seem to get away from the 2020 election. Uh-huh. I know, and there's been uh, there's been a lot of talk about Georgia's new voting restrictions slash expansions. It's a pretty complicated statute that I will be talking about later on in the episode. Um, but first, Joe, you're going to fill us in on a little bit of history, right? Yeah, that's right. I get the fun topic of Jim Crow laws. Take us to school, Joe. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we all know about Jim Crow, of course. Uh, These are voter suppression laws that were passed in the late 19th, early 20th centuries. There were things like a poll tax. Uh, There was a literacy test that many of the former Confederate states passed. And there were some other things that we don't necessarily need to get into, all with the either explicitly stated aim of keeping blacks from voting or uh, with some kind of excuse given at least facially for, you know, preventing election fraud, uh, making sure that only people who understood how our system of government works could vote. So there were some facially neutral laws passed, but, you know, the point of them all was that black people could not vote. So, of course, as we all know, kind of going back Really early in our schooling days, uh, there was only white male property owners could vote, of course, at the beginning of the country's founding. Uh, Then the 15th Amendment gave African Americans the right to vote, and the 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote. By 1890, though, states were not necessarily liking the direction that this was heading. And so Mississippi, Texas, Virginia, and other Confederate states started passing the poll tax law and the literacy tests. The poll tax is exactly what it sounds like. It's basically a head tax. So you'd have to pay the tax in order to be eligible to vote. Now, it just so happened that white people were a lot of times grandfathered in, and so they could vote if, for example, their parents or grandparents fought in the Civil War or were in the country before the Civil War. So there were these kind of workarounds that whites could do And it was the same with the literacy tests. 
So what would happen is you'd go and you'd, you'd take a test. Some of the questions would be easier. Some of the questions would be harder, but it was all up to the worker at the pool, whether you passed or not. And so white people tended to get all the easy questions and the pool worker could always say, oh, you know, you, you got it mostly right. On the other hand, if you were black, you were usually asked the hardest questions and it was up to the poll workers so they could say, oh, no, I think you, uh, you know, you mispronounced this word slightly. So I'm going to have to fail you and you can't vote. So this is a long history of voter suppression. In 1965, of course, we had the Voting Rights Act. This is arguably the most successful piece of civil rights legislation that ever happened. Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act requires jurisdictions with a history of racial discrimination to get approval from the federal government before they can change their election laws. And Congress extended this Section 5 in 1982 for an additional 25 years. Now, in 2013, in Shelby County v. Holder, the Supreme Court held that the Voting Rights Act, specifically Section 4s and 5s, had fulfilled their purpose and that the country was changed. And so they declared that we no longer needed Section 4, which kind of determined which areas of the country needed to get congressional approval before they could change their election laws. And the Supreme Court said, no, this, this isn't needed anymore. You can just make whatever changes you want to without court supervision. So that's kind of where we are now. Interestingly, things like the poll tax and the literacy tests were never really declared unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. A lot of these were changed by constitutional amendment uh, or by Congress itself in the Voting Rights Act or elsewhere. After the 24th Amendment, which was the amendment that got rid of the poll tax, the Supreme Court did start to kind of crack down on states that were trying to kind of get around the 24th Amendment. Uh, but until then, so really until about the 1970s, uh, the Supreme Court hadn't really said that any of these various tricks and things that states were using to suppress voters was unconstitutional. The Supreme Court started to take a much more active role after that time uh, until, like I said, until 2013 when they started reversing that trend. The current Supreme Court is a little bit more lenient toward states who want to adjust their election laws even on the eve of elections. Uh, Justice Roberts is kind of of the opinion that federal courts should not intervene in state elections unless it's absolutely necessary. So that's, uh, that's Jim Crow and voter suppression in five minutes. Any questions? <laughs> that was great, Joe. Thanks. Joe, you did uh, a good job there. Thanks. <laughs> okay, so I'm sorry. It's interesting that because much to the chagrin, much to the chagrin of the Trump uh, re-election campaign, that John Roberts did kind of stick very closely to his view that that there is minimal role for the judiciary to get involved in state election law changes, or even what we saw what happened a lot in 2020, which was mostly regulatory changes to account for the pandemic. Despite you know. He he wrote the opinion in in Shelby County Beholder, and I know at the time he did not he did not uh, engender much kindness from more left leaning folks for that for that opinion. Um, but then 
in you know in November and December of 2020 he was the he was the new superhero mm-hmm. again protecting protecting <laughs> democracy it's funny it's funny how those things yeah. work <laughs> a lot of uh people were celebrating Georgia for the way they handled the 2020 election and a few months later and here we are that's right joe um so i am going to talk a little bit about the election integrity act of 2021 signed into law by Georgia Governor Brian Kemp on March 25th. Um, it's also often called SB 202. And first of all, I want to have do a little shout out to the folks at the Athens Banner Herald for putting together a great piece that breaks down a lot of different parts of this law. And we also have a great article. Shout out for local journalism. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and we also have a great article on Fine Law by Richard Dahl, who's a great writer and who works with us. And we can link to that in the show notes. Big Richard. Richard. <laughs> I don't know if he we listens love to the show. I hope he does. <laughs> well, if he doesn't, then we don't love him. But if you're listening, Richard, you're the man. <laughs> Our love is very much conditional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's there's a lot going on with with this Georgia law. And I'm sure a lot of people listening have already heard a lot about it. There's a lot of people who are very, very upset about it. And... A lot of people who are staunchly defending it. So I'm just going to go through some of the big broad strokes um, as far as what is changing. And I will try not to editorialize too much. <laughs> you leave that to me usually. Right. That's, <laughs> that's Andy's job. I do have one thought, but I, I will I will get to it. I'm in my Hannibal Lecter, for those only able to listen and not see, I'm in my Hannibal Lecter restraints yes. to, to prevent me from going off the rails too much here. Yeah. Andy is contractually obligated to appear in, in those restraints. Yes, yes. <laughs> Ever since, you know, the incident. Um. <laughs> okay, so let's start with absentee voting. Um, going forward, voters in Georgia who are over 65 have a disability, are in the military, or live overseas, are eligible to vote via absentee ballot. However, the time frame for requesting and submitting those ballots is shorter than it used to be. So voters can now only request their ballot 11 weeks before the election. It used to be 180 days. Plus, those ballots have to be returned two Fridays before Election Day instead of the Friday before. And... Finally, counties will mail out absentee ballots starting four weeks before the election, about three weeks later than last year. So voting absentee, not necessarily harder under this law, but you definitely have less time. The part that does make it harder is the new ID rules for absentee ballots. You need to have either a driver's license or some kind of state ID number, and that needs to go on the absentee ballot for Georgia going forward. The number or like a scan of the picture of the ID? Just the ID number. Okay, okay. Uh, and I get my last point about absentee, absentee voting is that, and I found this interesting, and I imagine it has to do with the vast numbers of absentee ballots that were used for the 2020 election for obvious reasons, that state and local governments in Georgia can no longer send unsolicited absentee ballot applications, and third-party groups can only send applications to voters who have not already requested one. So they're kind of cracking down a bit on how many... How do they know who's who's requested one? Exactly. It makes things a lot harder for people who are trying to help people vote, especially, you know, say someone who's trying to help 
older folks or people with a disability or, you know, that kind of thing where Mm -hmm. they're going to be voting absentee and might need help getting the application. So not directed at Stacey Abrams at all. No, definitely not. Definitely not. (laughs) Thank you for saying that. So I didn't have to. (laughs) Well, yeah, ballot, ballot harvesting has, has long been a, a target of some, some legislators in the, in the voting rights game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are the broad strokes for absentee ballots. So I guess I will move on to ballot drop boxes, which this time last year were unheard of in Georgia. They had never had ballot drop boxes. Now they are required in all 159 counties, but there are some restrictions. They can only be placed inside early voting sites instead of being outside government buildings like they were in 2020. And therefore, they will only be accessible during voting hours. So you can't show up and drop off your absentee ballot at midnight or whenever. Um, The number of boxes is also capped at one per every 100,000 active voters or one for every early voting site, whichever is smaller. So definitely making things a little more difficult as far as dropping off ballots. And the the, uh, idea behind this is what to prevent fraud be- because yeah, having more it, it makes yeah, it more it's likely aimed to... at, at quote unquote election security yeah drop boxes were if they didn't have security cameras or yada 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 and they were just placed out you know somebody could show up at five in the morning and dump in their box full of illegally harvested <laughs> fake ballots right. Yes, that is the worry. Now, whether or not that is true <laughs> is a whole nother discussion. Correct. Although the absentee voting window is now smaller, SB202 did expand early voting access for most counties. The early voting sites must at a minimum be open from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Saturday, and they can be they can be open as early as 7 a.m. and stay open until 7 p.m. So that's an extra day for most counties. Counties also have the option to have Sunday voting hours. They are not required to, but they can. So early voting overall expanded. However, it does come down to what the counties decide to do. So a place like Fulton County, Atlanta, right. would most likely take advantage of all of their options for having One would expanding hope. Yes. early voting. And, yeah. Right. And that leads me to uh, probably the, the thing that has gotten talked about the most which is food and water at polling sites and there has been a lot of back and forth about this section of the law um possibly most notably on fox news of all places where um chris wallace kind of got into it with um josh holmes a republican strategist and former chief of staff to none other than senator mitch mcconnell and holmes was up there kind of trying to downplay this provision and and he's sitting there saying oh no no no! of course it's not criminalizing the act of giving water to someone standing in line to vote the problem is that's exactly what it does (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, so and i read it (laughs) so the the relevant section of the statute states no person shall solicit votes in any manner nor shall any person give, offer to give, or participate in the giving of any money or gifts, including but not limited to food and drink, to an elector within 150 feet of a polling place or within 25 feet of people standing in line. Violating this section of the law is a misdemeanor punishable by up to a year in jail and a $1,000 fine. Because the 150 feet thing is the electioneering zone. Right. And, you know, there is a worry that, you know... 
Georgians for Biden show up outside of the polling place and start handing out pizza to everybody. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing that that is that sticks out on that to me is is within 25 feet of a line because right. Georgia has not done a good job at uh, limiting the amount of time that mm-hmm. it takes someone to cast their vote yes. there. Uh, lines are frequently very long mm-hmm. in Especially Georgia. Especially in urban to, areas. Yeah, to vote, and they can stretch far outside the electioneering zone mm-hmm. as well. Um, and people... People stand in line for a long time to yeah. vote in Georgia. Yeah. Um, and it's hot and, there. <laughs> yeah. And it, I go there, I go there a couple times a year. It is hot. Yep. Um, <laughs> All the time. It's hot and humid. <laughs> um, and putting a big, you know, cooler of water at the front door of the building can help some, but people got to eat too. Mm-hmm. So folks pack your lunch, I yeah. guess. And, and you know... Look, maybe this is just me, but I think there should be a damn carnival at the polling site. Like, (laughs) you know, play some games while you're standing in line. Get a hot dog and stay freaking hydrated. Like, I just I have a really hard time with this because, yeah, people are trying to argue that this provision is trying to prevent political parties or organizations from bribing people to vote a certain way. But First of all, the law as written is much broader than that. In practice, it's going to have the greatest impact on busy polling sites, typically within cities, typically minority voters. Mm -hmm. But even just in a broader sense, I think what bothers me is (laughs) the idea that people are so easily swayed that someone handing you a bottle of water is going to cause them to change their vote. I just find it so patronizing and... The people who think that clearly have not been on social media in the last year because <laughs> I have watched people swear up and down that they will never get a COVID vaccine or not wear a mask or whatever, despite actual science in their face. So I really don't think anybody's going to change their vote over being handed a bottle of water. I will gladly take <laughs> a bottle of water or piece of pizza from someone I am voting against. Exactly. Walk into the polling place. <laughs> yeah. Pull the curtain behind me in mm-hmm. secret and vote against that loser. Exactly. That's what bothers me so much about this. <laughs> like I'm fine with yeah, no no electioneering inside the building. You know, once people are in there and they're going to cast their vote, yes, leave them alone. But man, who cares what goes on when you're waiting in line? <laughs> so so are you two saying that when I bring donuts into the office, you'll just take them and then not uh, not do the project that I want us all to do, which is the reason yes. for bringing the donuts? Yeah. I'll say thank you for the donuts, Joe. <laughs> Joe sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will. I will happily take a donut from someone I don't like. Not that I don't like you. <laughs> that came out wrong. But uh, you you get what you get my point. <laughs> if someone I hate offers me a donut, I'm still gonna take it. <laughs> Thanks for the donut, you loser. <laughs> so I guess that that's my my soapbox moment for uh, for the episode. And and there's already been lawsuits filed about several um, aspects of this statute, so we'll see how that develops. But yeah, it's definitely a mixed bag yeah. of a law. Yep. And the fight goes on now in other states Indeed because it does. 
everyone has joined together in a giant conspiracy to drive me nuts (laughs) (laughs) for the rest of my life. So according to the Brennan Center for Justice, which tracks a lot of these voting voting issues, there are currently we have 361 bills that they have termed restrictive that have been introduced in 47 states. And there are 843 bills that they have termed expansive that have been introduced in in 47 separate states. Um, I think the big thing to remember when you hear Stats like what I just told you is that in many cases, it's just a bill. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it's ever going to come close to becoming law. Right. Um, as someone who has worked on the Hill before, members of Congress and state lawmakers alike write bills all the time just so they can say, hey, look, I made this bill that made it illegal to get Pizza Hut instead of Papa John's. <laughs> Um, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that it's going to pass or whatever. So a lot of these that seem kind of harebrained will remain just that the harebrained fantasies of lawmakers. So in terms of these restrictive bills, five have been signed into law and 55 bills in 24 states are kind of on the move, whether that means whether they've passed a chamber or they've been, uh, hearings have been held on them. And for the expansive bills, we've had nine signed into law and 112 on the move in 31 states. Now, along with Georgia, the other big the other big state that has kind of passed a large kind of omnibus package of voting restrictions is Iowa. They made it easier to move voters to an inactive status for missing one for sitting out one federal election, which does oh, make wow. it easier for does make it easier for voters to be purged from voter rolls, shortened early voting. They shortened election day poll hours, which that's the one that great. That's the one that, yeah, that's the one that gets the straight face emoji from me. Do they Um, say why (laughs) I get, what's the rationale election? And again, Laura election integrity. Well, we all know fraud happens the last hour. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of laws passing also Arkansas has, kind of strengthened their voter ID requirements, but they created basically a carve out for voters with religious objections to obtain a new state ID that does not contain a photo. So that's, that's a fun one. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, But then big bills on the move, Arizona, obviously a hot zone of voter fraud allegations and whatever stemming from the last election, there is a large kind of set of restrictions kind of move working its way through the legislature. Again, it tightens ID on absentees. It bans the proactive sending of absentee ballots and it, um, it prohibits automatic voter registration and election day registration, which Arizona currently allows neither. Either way, um, so oh. it's more just so <laughs> it's more uh, it's more a statement. New Hampshire is eliminating election day registration, exploring that, eliminating student IDs as valid as a valid form of ID, and another proposed change would not allow college students to use college as their residence for voting purposes. Like if you're an out of state college student and you want to vote in New Hampshire because you live in New Hampshire. Uh, to go to college, they would say, well, nope, you're actually going to vote in your home state. 
Texas banning unstaffed drop boxes. Um, again, banning proactive absentee applications um, and eliminating mobile and drive through voting, which was very big in Harris County, where Houston was, where Houston is located. Uh, local officials there took advantage of of state law to allow essentially they set up drive through voting on certain days in in early voting and they had some basically RVs that they were able to send to certain neighborhoods and basically do a mobile day of early voting. In other states too, it's mostly the same combo of what we saw in the Georgia in the Georgia law, Iowa law, basically cutting back on proactive sending of ballots. Mm-hmm. Um reducing the number of drop boxes. Those seem to be the most common themes. In these expansive states, we have uh, New Jersey and Virginia have already extended their early voting periods. Virginia and Montana expanded access for voters with disabilities. Montana is a male, is a male, one of those male only election states. Uh, Virginia did away with witness uh, signatures on absentee ballots during a state of emergency. And a law that's about to be signed into law is Washington State will be restoring voting rights for people with past convictions. There are bills currently in Connecticut, Indiana, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New York, and Rhode Island that would extend or create uh, no-excuse absentee. Um, Some states want to make it easier to cure, quote, cure those faulty absentee ballots like somebody like forgot to put in their driver's license ID number mm-hmm. on their absentee ballot, um, or they put the address in the wrong spot. And some states are looking at creating permanent absentee lists where voters on that list wouldn't have to apply for an absentee ballot every election. Mm-hmm. Um, they just would receive one without even without even having to apply. Sure. Those are the big kind of reforms. Be you know a lot of the states that you would think would have automatic voter registration pretty much have already enacted that, mm-hmm. you know? So a lot of these, I, I, I called out these states because for the most part, these are states with a governor and state legislature controlled by the same party. Mm-hmm. When we talk about these kind of voting law battles, especially now in this like hyper polarized, whatever climate you want to call it that we're in that if, if, like Michigan, you know, Michigan, a hot spot of voter fraud allegations and whatever else you want to call it, has a Democrat has a Democratic governor and a Republican controlled legislature. These Republican legislatures can do legislators can pass whatever the laws they want. And Governor Whitmer is going to be told. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same in Pennsylvania. Same in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's a good point. At the federal level. I mean, who knows? The House has already passed the For the People Act, which would essentially override most most of these changes like that are going into effect in Georgia and Iowa and maybe soon in other states. But we don't need this to become a podcast about discussing whether the Senate's going to have the filibuster <laughs> for the future. Yeah, so we, we I don't mean, have that, time that, for that. Yeah, that, uh, any changes at the federal level with say the Senate adopting the For the People Act, which a lot of Democratic senators say that is one of their biggest priorities. They have to get rid of the filibuster. Go to New York Times, NPR, whatever, if you want to read about the debate over the <laughs> over the filibuster. That's <laughs> all I can tell you. Um, <laughs> it is funny how much we brought it up. Though, I know. It does, you know, every <laughs> single issue. It's like, well, like maybe. We're, we're careening towards an episode about the filibuster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know... If because now the Georgia, the fallout from Georgia has made this 
one of those issues where now mm-hmm. we have like Coca-Cola and Delta Airlines weighing in. Yeah. Um, and that has prompted some other large corporations in Texas to now speak out against proposed reforms there. Mm-hmm. Didn't uh, didn't Major League Baseball take the and, yeah All-Star and Major game out yeah of and Major League and Major League Baseball yanking the All Star game from Atlanta this year? Yeah. Which, by the way, Andy, you're a baseball fan like I am. I was shocked at yeah. this. Baseball really does not like to get involved in stuff like this. I I couldn't believe it. It's a new world, Joe. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> it really is. When the NCAA really asserted their will. A few uh, about five years ago, in when Indiana tried to pass a, a religious freedom bill, and combined with North Carolina passing their quote bathroom bill on mm-hmm. yeah. uh, gender uh, gender access to bathrooms, the NCAA really asserted their will in those cases, and and it got their desired result. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we've seen now people don't want corporations. Major League Baseball or whatever to be silent about this. I have my own thoughts on every single thing in life becoming hyper politicized. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whether I agree with the argument or not, but the corporate involvement could portend maybe some of these some of these voting law changes in other states being dialed back. Mm-hmm. If the flood gets big enough, you could see. What happened in Indiana, which was them repealing their religious freedom law, you could see something like that happening in Georgia, where some changes are quietly passed to this to this new law mm-hmm. that would maybe remove some of its teeth. Well, and we should also wait and see what happens. Yep. In the midterms, I mean, again, yeah. not not to get too political, but there's an argument to be made that it could backfire pretty spectacularly. Mm-hmm. You know, Arizona did not allow no excuse absentee voting in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't expand their mail voting. And, you know, a Democratic candidate carried the state for the first time in a long time. Yeah. And it wasn't only states that relaxed or cheated at, or, quote, cheated, as the former president would have you believe. Wisconsin has has a pretty strict voter ID law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of factors affect turnout. Yeah. Now, the other thing, too, is, of course, depending on how many of these states that you're talking about, Andy, actually pass the laws, we could see quite a few court challenges, too, of course. Most mm-hmm. definitely. You know, as we already talked about, the Supreme Court is fairly reluctant to get involved and tell the states what they can and can't do. But that's not to say that state Supreme Courts will not weigh in on these issues or um, if it does get to federal courts, you know, who knows what will happen. So I I would be surprised if we don't see a a wave of challenges if things continue to get passed that are controversial, you know, whether you're a Democratic leaning mm-hmm. representative body or a Republican, I'm, I'm guessing that there will be court challenges. Anytime there's a change to an election law, there's a court challenge that follows it. Yeah. What are your guys? What's 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 either of yours' uh, dream scenario for how a U.S. election should be run? Uh, you know, somebody brings me pizza and tells me who to vote for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even better if they mail me my ballot. And like, send me a coupon for free pizza. <laughs> I I think a lot. I've been thinking a lot about the way 
voting has worked, I believe, for the past at least five years in the county where I grew up. Um, it's a very rural area of Minnesota, and the the voting precinct that we were in was even smaller. And several years ago, they the state looked at this and said, you know, we don't have enough people living here to make it worth having an actual polling site. So they started mailing absentee ballots to everybody and you'd mail them back. And it was, you know, <laughs> there were no problems. <laughs> and all of this happened really with no pushback from anybody. And I know that several countries in Europe do that where everyone gets their ballot in the mail, you fill it out, you send it back. So I think for me, that would be the dream scenario. I'm sure there are a lot of people who would tell me that I'm stupid for that. But yeah, I, I think that voting should be the easiest thing. You yeah. Can. One of the things I've spent the last several years worrying about is like our fraying community bonds and whatever. And the pandemic has only made it 8 billion times worse. Mm. I have a soft spot for the kind of like civic life engagement part of going to your polling place and sure. standing in line and voting and coming out and saying, I voted, yeah. but, but, but this is a country of 330 million people. So in my mind, you know, generalissimo Leonati would make it <laughs> a three day would make election day, like a three day national holiday. And yeah, you know, you'd make absentee balloting easy for those who need it. But I also favor like, Everyone having it, you know, the voter ID requirement is arguments are always weird to me, too, because I always think everyone should have an ID. But then I say that to the people who are for voter ID laws and they say, well, no, that's a civil liberties violation. Right. I want the government tracking me. Yeah. These these arguments always make for uh, strange bedfellows on some of these issues. Yeah, definitely. I'm with you, though, Andy. I like going into I like getting my little sticker and I like uh Going into the neighborhood school mm -hmm. or church or wherever it is. And, you know, it, there's something kind of nice about being part of it. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said for that. Yeah, for sure. And my, my plan would involve things that some politicians who want to force people to vote in person also don't want to give, which is afford people paid time off to do it. Mm-hmm. Closing businesses like a national holiday or holding it on weekends, yep. like a lot of European countries vote on to have elections on Sundays mm -hmm. and all those kind of things that would make it easier. And also automatic. I think automatic voter registration is is one of the biggest no brainers that any mm -hmm. civilized country could do. But that apparently is super controversial, too. I will come around to your side if we can have a carnival. <laughs> yeah. I demand it. <laughs> Have we ever talked about why it's on a Tuesday on this podcast? I feel like we might have. I don't think so. Did our did the framers and in their infinite dingusness <laughs> write it into the Constitution? <laughs> I, no, but it, it's held on a Tuesday uh, so that farmers could drive into town on their horse. Ride into town, drive you know, your horse. Yeah, fantastic. So yeah, they they would. So it was. They needed a couple of days to get from their farms into wherever they needed to go to vote, and they couldn't do it on a Sunday. So then it was, you know, give them two days so that they can make it into town on, in time to vote. So that's why it's on Tuesdays. Oh wow! Fantastic. <laughs> Don't you aren't aren't yeah. you glad I threw out that Definitely little tidbit? No reason for that to be updated. <laughs> Can't think of any. 
And that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Find Laws, Don't Judge Me. Please subscribe to, rate, and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Check the show notes for related content. And if you'd like to contact us, send us an email at findlawpodcasts at thompsonreuters.com.